Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for another fabulous edition of Three Squares. We are so excited you are here with us, whether you're joining us live or on your favorite podcast uh, operation or application, whatever it happens to be, where you're where you're finding us today or whatever day you're choosing to listen. I'm Charlie Arnott and frequently more articulate than I am at this particular moment uh, with CFI and the Center for Food Integrity and Look East. We're working to keep food trustworthy. I'm going to stop talking and turn it over to my co-hosts, Kevin Ryan and Susan Schwally to introduce themselves. And I'm Susan Schwally with Circana where we bring clarity to consumer behavior. I've been rattling around in the syndicated market research world for 25 years now, and I love to talk about how and why people eat and drink. And I'm Kevin Ryan of Malachite Strategy and Research. We help uh, CPG retailers and food service with the front end of innovation and strategy. Kevin and Susan, we have royalty with us today. I know yes. that that you're both royal watchers much yes. more than I am. So Susan, more than know. any of us. No, Kevin, yeah. Kevin, don't pin that on Kevin. That's it's me. It's just you. You're the royal watcher. So, so this is this is really a tribute to you, Susan, because we have the Queen of Ween with us today. Uh, for nearly three decades, Janet Riley led the meat industry's response to high-profile food safety, nutrition, and animal controversies appearing on major news networks and television shows. She's been on many of them. She's also known for her wit and extensive knowledge about hot dog history and culture. And I'll be interested, Kevin, to see if you tap into that during our quiz. That earned her the nickname Queen of Ween. Uh, she was recognized with the quote of the year from ESPN.com for her clever response when a spectator weaponized a hot dog against Tiger Woods. We'll have to hear more about that. That's That seems to be everybody's favorite word today, weaponized in the political arena. Uh, she's been invited to speak about hot dogs on major TV shows, including the Martha Stewart Show, The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, and now her magnum opus on Three Squares. In collaboration with animal welfare and autism expert, Dr. Temple Grandin, Janet helped change the meat industry's approach to measuring and improving animal welfare through objective scoring. And uh, a great journey it's been on, and the industry wouldn't be where it is today without her leadership. She is featured in the forthcoming documentary about Dr. Grandin, The Open Door, and we were fortunate to have Temple with us on an earlier edition of Three Squares. For 28 years, Janet led communications, membership, and professional development at the North American Meat Institute in Washington, D.C. While there, she served as president of the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council, a position she relished. Ugh. Oh, see what we did there. As vice president of communications and public affairs at the Canadian protein company and hot dog maker Maple Leaf Foods, she led communications when the company became the world's first major carbon neutral food company. Uh, today, she operates her own consultancy, Janet Riley Strategies, offers communication, crisis readiness, media training, and facilitation services. Both Kevin and Susan, I'm sure you know that July is National Hot Dog and Sausage Month. We're kind of at the end of that. Uh, but we want to celebrate the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council reports that Americans purchase 9 billion hot dogs a year. I had no idea, but they consume an estimated 20 billion a year. 
when you add all the dogs consumed at sporting events like Little League, restaurants, and other venues like my favorite, Costco. So, Janet, welcome to Three Squares. We are honored to have you with us. There's, there's no crown, though. I thought maybe you'd be wearing a crown today. Oh, yeah, damn, I'm on travel. I didn't pack it. Oh, didn't pack the crown today. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, 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 we'll see it next time. Next time. All right, Kevin, you want to kick us off and get us started? Of course. Yes. Well, um, welcome, Janet. Uh, thank you for, for being with us. I, I kind of want to start with this, the idea that, I mean, hot dogs have been around. We were just chatting right before we even came on air here. We were chatting about like our childhood and, and hot dogs, but it seems like hot dogs are kind of making a comeback. Like what's, what continues to drive the popularity of hot dogs? What, what, why do people, why do we always seem to go back to hot dogs? There are few foods that provoke the kind of emotional reaction that hot dogs do. And sales are up this year, which is really good. Um, I think there's a bit of a renaissance for, it's a classic. And it's something that I think is strongly associated with memories. It's been a wild couple of years with COVID and hot dogs are a bit of a source of stability. And Hot dogs are the things we eat at picnics, at ball games, you know, at family gatherings. And so people feel really strongly about them. They feel strongly about the brand. They feel strongly about how they're topped. And it's almost like asking somebody about their hometown baseball team. You know, they feel really passionately about that. And you never see somebody eat a hot dog without smiling. And I think that's what people are looking for after a long couple of years in a pandemic. Mm. You know, perfect segue because you may not be aware, but I ran our local town's Little League concession stand. Um, and so I have a two-part question for you. For Also, I have to say, it's a really big change running a concession stand and mm-hmm. learning to ro- clean and operate a hot dog roller. But it's very different from my day job. And when people asked me how I liked it, I said, well, you give, a pe- you give people a hot dog and they're happy. They are. They are. It's very satisfying, highly transactional, but very satisfying. So my question for you is, though, um, there's lots of rumors that go around as to what hot dogs are made of. And I know there's different yeah. varieties. Can you once and for all let us know the truth? Is it nasty bits or real meat? It's real meat. And really what you're going to find in the hot dog is what's on the label. So there are these legends that there are lips and toes and things like that. I've been asked that question a million times. But really, when they make hot dogs, if they're making a beef hot dog or pork hot dog, it looks like cuts of stewed the the meat you use in a beef stew. And then it's all pureed and emulsified. So it gets to look like a cake batter and they put ice in there and salt and seasonings. Um, But if they were to use anything like a variety meat, which are perfectly wholesome cuts, they're just not things that Americans commonly consume. The product would have to say with variety meats or with meat byproducts. But the funny thing is, and I can't even find those anymore. When I go into the retail store, I look for products that say with variety meats because I get that that question so often. But isn't it funny that nose to tail eating is the hot thing now? Let's eat all of the animal. And that's where the sausage originally got its start. You know, you were using cuts and putting it in a casing so you'd prevent waste. So nose to tail eating is back, but people love to speculate what's in a hot dog. But the truth is it's it's not quite as exciting as you might imagine because it's really (laughs) just on the label. Isn't part of the hot dog too, isn't like partly what they call trim to the idea of like the little bits that maybe don't look so good that are still the same cut. It's just like, so in a sense it is not, I wouldn't say upcycling, but it is being very responsible with the, with, with the animal. Exactly. It's the cut. So you're trimming a roast and you, you cut that piece away, you're cutting a steak or a loin or something like that. You've got those small cuts and you really can't serve them on their own. So you put them into a processed product, like a hot dog. And that's, that's really the full story. Right. 
So it's interesting, Janet, as we, as we think about this, you know, there, there's a, there's a bit of hot dog lore that's transitioned now into celebrity culture and, (laughs) and hot dog eating contests and, and all of that. And I was reading about the, the amount of money that some of these folks make eating, eating competitively. It's phenomenal. And they've become real influencers for different brands. So have you ever been to a hot dog eating contest and could you eat a hot dog after watching Joey Chestnut down 60 dogs in 10 minutes? I think I could eat a hot dog. I think I could eat two hot dogs. I think it would stop there. I have <laughs> never been to a hot dog eating contest. I really? In, in your entire party. career, you've never been to one? I thought Nathan's would invite me to be like a judge sometime. And I never got that. Hmm. But it is pretty phenomenal. And it, it, it does kind of turn my stomach to think about what what's he up to? It's like 50 hot dogs or something in 30. It's incredible. And of course, you've seen how he has to dip the buns in the water wow. and all of this yeah. Yeah. to get him down. No, no, thanks. Yeah, it doesn't look terribly appealing, but it, but it is fascinating, right? I mean, it, it it's is. one of those things. It's a bit like going to the uh, to the carnival and, and looking behind the curtain. Yeah, absolutely. A little strange. Yeah. Well, in an effort to be uh, equal opportunity here for for other types of sausages, I think we've been yep. we've been talking about hot dogs. I mean, I'm always fascinated by. I mean, yes, hot dogs, but you know, I think in in addition to hot dogs becoming very popular, it seems like sausages are also gaining more. I mean, I think for a while there they were also kind of maligned in a sense, but now they seem to be also making a comeback, maybe from a cultural perspective or anything like that. So, I think my question to you is. What are the most popular sausages, at least maybe out there, if you know that off the top of your head? And then what are some of the more unique sausages that you've seen? Because I know there's so many things that you can put, you know, in a sausage uh, casing. That's just so interesting. And the, the most popular sausages still remain, you know, Italian and brought by volume. But I think that the reason uh, sausages have made such a comeback is because they're a bit of a, 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 a nice blank canvas for all sorts of seasonings and spices. And culturally, we embrace so many of those uh, spicier formulations now. And so you go into the, the sausage case in the meat department, and now you've got, whether it's apple or chorizo or mango or you know all sorts of jalapenos, all sorts of things. I love um, to have all the unique sausages. And I have thrown some hot dog barbecues at my house. And what I do is cover the entire grill in a variety of sausages. And I cut them up so people can put multiple kinds on their bun. And I, you know, put the little uh, labels on them and people go wild over it, over trying them. It's kind of like an ice cream store, but I'm a a huge sausage fan. And well, you're from Illinois, so, you know, I mean, we're right near the bratwurst capital here in Wisconsin. Right. Never had it. Never had that kind of bar, that barbecue you're talking about. But I can see it being extremely popular if someone it did. It was a lot of fun. It was <laughs> a lot of fun. And of course, I brought the sausage in from Wisconsin. I may have done it in Maryland, but I had the sausage flown in from Wisconsin. So you're kind of the Baskin Robbins of sausage. I am the Baskin. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> What's your love favorite? It. What's your favorite sausage? You can't you know, say you love all your children equally. You got to make no, a decision. No, we've you had know. people do that. We push them to make a choice. Yeah. yeah. I, well, if you're asking me what kind, I love a classic brat. I really do. Um, I love a smoked brat. I mean, I love, there's two kinds of brats. There's, there's the smoked brat and it, it has more the texture of a hot dog because it's really like emulsified and it's, it's a lot of times whiter. And then you've got the Sheboygan brat, which is more ground, kind of like an Italian. So it's a coarse grind. I like them both, but there's something about some of those brats 
okay, I'm going to call somebody out. Fritz Usinger up in Milwaukee makes a really good old world German smoked brat. And one time he even let me link them on the line in his plant. It was pretty cool with a bunch of German women. Um, they were hand linking the sausages and they were telling me to pinch and twist, pinch and twist their German accents. I think he makes a wonderful product. Um, and you don't see them as often. You see more the, the Sheboygan brats in the retail case, which are great too. But Fritz has a great smoked brat. Interesting. I've always been a fan, considered... fan of, uh, of Johnsonville personally. But I love Johnsonville too. That's yeah. the one you get. Uh, that you see that widely and nationally. Um, yeah. To get some of these products, you have to mail order them. Some of them have more regional distribution. Johnsonville's national. Um, and I love it. I've been in the Johnsonville sausage plant too. Charlie, they should put you in their ads and say, Charlie Arnott's making Johnsonville brats. Well, that and Costco <laughs> hot dogs, right? Those, those are the two. I can't go to Costco without getting a dog. Yeah. So. Yeah. So um, on a more serious note, yeah, Temple Grandin came up uh, earlier in Charlie's intro. Um, yeah. We've had her on three squares, amazing woman. And I know that you've worked with her to improve animal welfare in the meat industry. What would you say are the biggest changes, the most important changes in animal welfare the last 20 years? With measuring starts. Um, we now measure animal welfare. I'll never forget the conversation when Temple called me. I think it was 96 and she had just been up in Canada and toured some meat plants. And she said, you know, I think we could actually measure animal welfare objectively. I don't think this is just a subjective evaluation. And I was young enough and bold enough to take that kind of uh, counterintuitive idea and try to advance it forward. This is back in the day when Temple was pretty autistic, didn't have the same kinds of ability to um, communicate comfortably as she does now. She sounded very different. And so I, I advanced her ideas and they took off. And so suddenly we published an audit and we started scoring basic things like how often animals moo or squeal, how often they slip or fall, um, how often people are prodding animals to get them to go forward. And if you, if you uh, measure, you can manage. So then if there's something wrong, you know, you normally see two, two moos or two squeals and you're seeing 10, what's going on? Is there a nail sticking out of a, out of a gate? And you go, you find the source of that problem. And so it was an idea that we weren't sure was going to take off, but McDonald's stepped in and they liked the idea. And we met with them and they said, you know, we're going to make every one of our suppliers pass this audit that you've created. And we were off to the races. And when McDonald's did it, Wendy's and Burger King did it, and retailers did it, and suddenly everybody was doing it. So now that's kind of like table stakes. Everybody measures in, in the meat industry. It'd be hard to find somebody who doesn't do it. But it, it was transformative and it was a simple idea. It didn't require somebody to completely renovate a plant or put in a big new piece of equipment. It was a simple concept that people could understand. And so that simple idea that started really in 1997 when we published the first audit, it exists today. They may have changed the criteria a little bit and tweaked things somewhat, but it's still what people are doing and it's spread into the poultry industry too. So it really, it really changed the way we think. Yeah, Jen, I think there's another element too. I, I, you may be underselling the the impact that you had because clearly the the measurement is a piece of it. But by by introducing that and and launching the Animal Welfare Conference, you changed the culture. Of we the did change industry, the culture. Yeah, right. And I, I think that 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 is what the the end result was: is animal welfare is now integrated into the culture in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah, 
That's true. And um, I distinctly remember walking into a conference room with a bunch of people who had, you know, raised their prize cow at the, um, you know, at the fair, raised their pigs, grew up on farms. And I had said, I think we should count moose. And I remember one, one guy from Missouri saying, you're serious, Janet, you think we're going to count moose? And I said, yes. And to this day, he and I laugh about it because, you know, I, I said, we should, I said, Temple said we should, and we did, but changing that culture to Charlie's point was, was the next step. And so then I went in and said, well, I think we should have a conference. And everybody was nervous about having that conference because would anybody show up? You know, we'd, we'd pay all this money to a hotel and nobody would come. And I was very nervous about it, but I remember our first year, we had a huge turnout. We had 130 people show up and Temple mesmerized everyone. And the conference grew and grew and it exists to this day. And when Temple's in a room, people are attentive. I mean, they are listening. And if they're not talking, if they're not sharing the idea, their ideas, Temple's calling on them. She's engaging them. Uh, and it's, it's amazing. I mean, when I look back, I, I, I'm so proud. Of, of what happened in those days. Just so proud and proud of how it continues today. Do you think the that pen- there's more growth that needs to happen in, in that, not just in that realm of like, like you said, counting moves and things like that, but where do you see like the future of that going? I mean, is there an, another, uh, you know, uh, quantum leap kind of like that you instituted there, you and Temple instituted, is there something else that needs to happen or should happen, do you think in the industry? It's a great question. I think on the communications front, the demand for transparency is not going to go away. Mm -hmm. Um, You're going to have to be more and more transparent. And we've, you know, we produced some videos with Temple called Glass Walls, where she hosts plant tours and shows it all. And she agreed to do it on one condition. She said, Janet, I am not following a script. I said, okay, she did it in her own words. And she explained it. And so that was a step in the right direction. And that demand is not going to decrease. If you look at the trends um, with the, the new, um, the younger generations that are being raised on uh, in a very visual world. Um, but you're going to look at practices changing. We've seen an increase in open sow housing. And I think that that demand is going to increase because some people have converted from using gestation crates and confinement into more open housing. And that seems to really be what those concerned with animal welfare want. You know, not every consumer is focused on animal welfare. They focus on it when something goes wrong and there's bad news. Not everybody shops based on animal welfare, but when something goes wrong, they pay attention. But there are those high welfare consumers who really prioritize it. And for them, uh, open housing, group housing, creating environments where animals can exhibit natural behavior, there's something called the, the five freedoms um, and, you know, we, you've got more and more focus and prioritization of the, the mental health and the behavior, the more understanding. And I think those, those demands are going to increase, you know, up at Maple Leaf, they were using really simple strategies called enrichments. So we were putting toys in with the pigs and because they wanted to, and the difference it made to have these enriched environments where they could interact, it was huge. And, and it wasn't just, there were also economic benefits. I mean, you had healthier animals um, and you get a better quality product. You get low stress among your, your pigs and your cattle and you get better pork and beef. So there's so many reasons to do it right. 
But I think to the to your original question, you're probably going to see people start transitioning more as they have to upgrade facilities and make investments. And Temple just told me that with the price of steel right now, it's becoming more and more doable for people to make some of the changes into open housing mm-hmm. because the steel isn't as expensive. Um, and so I think we're going to see some real changes in those practices. We're certainly seeing reductions in um, antibiotic use. And so lots of changes coming forward. Excellent. Excellent. Jenna, thank you for that. All right. I'm going to just kind of wrap this up and then we're going to transition into the quiz. So one final question is you begin to kind of think forward, right? You talked about the renaissance that hot dogs and sausage have enjoyed, but as we think about, you know, health conscious consumers, changing generations, changing diets, What's the future for hot dogs and sausages? I mean, do you see them? They've been around for 100 years, but but are we going to see them in another 100 years or how's the industry going to continue to evolve? What do you see as the future of, of that particular category as we kind of wrap up the end of hot dog and sausage month? Sure. I think you're going to see more choices. Um, you're seeing more flavor profiles. That's what consumers want. I do think that, you know, we went through our phase where we offered the fat-free hot dog and everybody thought that was going to save the industry and that fell flat. Um, And we don't have fat-free hot dogs anymore. I think people are more rational about looking at at total diets instead of at foods. I think protein's undergone undergone a renaissance and increasingly we're seeing fat isn't always the enemy. So I think you're going, I think hot dogs will continue uh, to thrive. I think their, their roots in uh, in food culture and even in regional culture are are huge. So I, I don't think they're going anywhere. And that's just, some of that's just based on personal experience because I talk to a lot of people about hot dogs a lot. And yeah. I haven't seen any waning in the love of the, the, the hot dog. Very cool. One shameless plug before we move on, you talked about the importance of transparency. CFI is going to be having our first transparency summit in November. So you can look to the website for more information on that. You'll be seeing more details and keynote speakers and others coming out soon. But transparency as the uh, the currency of trust will be the theme for that event. It'll be at the Lowe's Hotel in uh, Chicago, and you'll be seeing more on that in the near future. And Janet, as the Queen of Ween, you are more than welcome to stick around for the quiz. Uh, Kevin, as you may or may not know, has his PhD in food anthropology. He's a food scientist. He's a chef. He's had all these different lives and he's only 27. So it's pretty impressive. So he wrote Kevin, a cookbook at age 12. He did. He did. I've got a copy of the cookbook here, but it's it never all lies, up. but it sounds good. Go ahead. <laughs> it is not a lie. It's the Betty Crocker cookbook, but you can't see it unless I get it in the exact because I've got my thing. But anyway, he's got the Wyatt Works cookbook from Betty Crocker. Uh, so he always, in he, he really does a great job with the quiz and I win all the time. So it makes Susan feel bad. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on this one. Yeah. You're welcome to stick around and play if you'd like. I'd like to play. Yeah. yeah let's do it. Let's, well, let's beat Charlie, Janet. Knowing, right. that, knowing that Janet might participate. I purposely did not make this quiz about hot dogs because That's she would trounce idea. all of you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, True. but I did make it hot dog adjacent. So it's Condiments? basically. Things related to condiments could be part of it, but things related. So for example, the first question, and these are all multiple choice. First question is one pound of poppy seeds contains approximately how many seeds? Is it A, 50,000, B, 200,000, C, 500,000, or D, 1 million? D. Okay. Charlie goes with D, a million. I go with B. Okay. Janet goes with B and Susan? A. You're going to go 50,000. 
Charlie is correct. What? It is D. On average, a pound of poppy seeds contains between a million or two million seeds, what? depending on the they're, size. They're, they're, yeah. they're teeny tiny. Wow. Tiny. Yeah. yeah. They're really bitty, small. Bitty. Yeah. I have a baking right. scale at home Impressive. that I use on a regular basis. It is. It is amazing just to think that, that, you know, it's, it wouldn't be hard to eat a million seeds. I wouldn't recommend it, especially if you have a drug screen coming, but um, yeah. <laughs> don't eat that many. Yeah. Uh, two. I, if you ate a pound of. No, but it'll show up on your drug screen yeah. potentially as yeah. an opioid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad side, no upside. <laughs> Unless you're really into everything bagel seasoning. Yeah. Or do you like maybe. I, I get that seasoning and put it on a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two, uh, sauerkraut originated in what country? Is it A, Germany, B, Bavaria, C, China, or D, France? China. Susan says China. Charlie? Janet? I would go with Germany. Germany? Charlie? I'm going to go Bavaria just to be different, but I think Susan's correct. Susan is correct. It is China. In fact, there is evidence that workers on the Great Wall were eating sauerkraut and rice, which doesn't sound like enough to be able to do the labor to build the wall, but over 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And that the Germans actually did pick it up from from the Chinese. So, yeah, I just put up my sauerkraut last weekend as, as the two of you know, <laughs> did you then build right? a wall? <laughs> I did not, I did not <laughs> build a wall. Um, three. Okay. The locally famous, but informal test for pickle quality in Connecticut that goes back to 1948 is, is what, what is the test for pickle quality? Is it a, to drop the pickle and see if it bounces? Is it B, see if a horse will eat it? Is it C, whack it on a hard surface and see if it maintains its integrity? Or D, squeeze it by your ear and listen for a crackle? It's a tough one. I'm going to say whack it. I'm going to say whack it. Okay. So Janet says squeeze it. Uh, No, no, I say D. Yeah, squeeze it and listen for a crackle. Squeeze it for the crackle. And then Charlie, you said whack it on the hard surface. And Susan? D. D as squeeze it? Mm Mm-hmm. The answer, everyone is wrong. The answer is A, is to drop it. So the Connecticut Food and Drug Commissioner, Frederick Holbrook, in 1948, said that dropping a pickle and seeing if it bounces was his method of testing pickles. And in fact, it's become so well known in Connecticut as a fact that there is a double A minor league baseball team called the Hartford Bouncing Pickles. Wow. So it's well known in Connecticut that that's wow. how you test for a good pickle, which I is thought, not exactly true. I thought they were the nutmeg state. Well, there, there is a, some... there is a, uh, there's an art school in North Carolina and their mascot is the fighting pickle. Okay. <laughs> well, so push them over. See if he bounces. Yeah. That um, might, they might be angry. <laughs> all right. Which country produces the most mustard seeds? Is it a India B Canada C Nepal or D Russia? Canada. Canada. India. Charlie says Canada. Susan says India. Janet. Nepal. Nepal. Charlie is correct. It is Canada. Canada produces 45% of the world's mustard seed. Mustard is very closely related to canola oil or rapeseed oil. And I think some of you probably know that canola actually means Canadian oil, low acid. That's what what canola means. Um, So I did not know that. I don't think any of us knew that that either. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) So uh, not nearly as smart as you are, Kevin. Rapeseed oil is actually uh, toxic in its original form. It has a high amount of erucic acid, which is 
dangerous to your heart. Uh, and so canola oil was developed in Canada and it stands for Canadian oil, low acid. So I only know this because I have a friend who does PR for the mustard industry in Canada. There you go. And so, yes, what I'm saying is that they're very good at growing, uh, canola oil, canola rapeseed, as well as mustard, which it's related to. So yes, but India, Nepal, and Russia are the three that are right behind it. Oh. They produce the rest. Okay. So that's I the feel better. Things. No, so India is actually number two. They grow a lot because they do cook in a lot of mustard oils and things like that. So do not ever play any trivia with Kevin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Last one. I think Charlie's ahead. I think Charlie's ahead, but there's yeah. a chance, I think, to come We're back. Tie it up. Jam. As of 2022, what is the annual cost of the permit for a hot dog stand considered New York's most perfect location right by the entrance of the Central Park Zoo? Oh, my gosh. Is it $9,000 a year, $19,000 a year, $90,000 a year, or $290,000 a year for a one-year permit? I'm going to go B, 19000 19000 I'm going to say ninety. B. Janet goes B, 19,000. I go B. Okay. And Susan? 90,000. You're all incorrect. It is $290,000. For a hot dog stand permit? Yes. According to the hot dog current owner, Mohammed Mustafa, the cart has to generate $425,000 a year in sales just to break even. And when he originally got it in 2013, he uh, only paid $120,000 a year for it. So it's a lot of hot dogs he's showing and that probably a lot of like lot of chips. What's, what's the price of a dog at his stand? Do we know? Yeah. Well, that was a good question. I looked it up. I actually tried to look it up, but I think it's 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 north of $3. Yeah, so, but I think he's making built. most of it on chips and drinks and stuff, oh, which yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. he's paying yeah. a lot yeah. more. Yeah. But still amazing. $290,000 That's incredible. Yeah. That is so, incredible. But that is like the, the perfect. Uh, that is the perfect metal that you have to get for New York or Sydney, right? I mean, you got to you got to operate those cabs twenty four hours a day to even get them to pay. So, exactly. yeah. well, Kevin, thank you, and and I'm 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 pleased to say, although it's kind of anticlimactic, that I won the quiz again. So, what are you going to do, Charlie? Remember, I understand the fragility of the male ego. And I love you. <laughs> as well, you should. As well, you should. Well, Janet, thank you again for joining us. Hey, it's been great fun to have you as the Queen of Ween. We always enjoy having a, a great guest on, and, and you've certainly met and exceeded all expectations. So thank you so much for joining awesome. us. Awesome. Thank you, Janet. Thank you, thank you Janet. Okay. And if you have questions, comments, concerns that you would like to share about Three Squares, if you'd like to compliment us, you can send those to threesquares at gmail.com. If you have concerns or questions, you can send those to Kevin or Susan directly. Uh, but thanks for joining us for this edition of Three Squares. You can catch us again in August on your favorite podcast app. And have a great rest of your day. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.